Father, we come before you again, Lord. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness towards us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for blessing us in more ways than we can count. Father, would you be with us this morning? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you unify us? Guard us from the evil one. Guard us from anything, Lord, that is not of you. May we abstain from every form of evil. May we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. May you help us, Lord, to set our eyes on things above and not on things of this world. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ. May your joy be our strength. May you fill us with love and joy. And may you give us a peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord, that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ so that whatever comes our way in life, Lord, will not phase us because we are firmly secured on the rock of Christ. Give us that strong faith, Lord. And so help us to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. Please bless us and keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us, Lord. Lift up your countenance upon us and grant us all peace. Be with us this morning. Bless this message. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. title of today's teaching is Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I woke up yesterday morning and I was praying and Typically, that's what I do. I try to do that every morning, right? Get out of bed and pray and get into the Word. And so I'm praying and reading and it's in my office and Leah came in and she said, did you hear Israel is at war? And I didn't know what to think of that. I know there's Hamas and Hezbollah and the countries surrounding Israel and it, it seems like there's rockets that are going into Israel every other day, right? It's how many, who who was injured, how many killed. It it depends on which week or which month you check the news. And I don't follow the news very often. I just get depressed typically. I mean, I check from time to time. Um, use at your own discretion. But I was glad she told me that. And so I looked up the articles, bracing myself. Is this an actual war? Is this the kind of ongoing war that's been going on ever since Basically, the time that Israel became a nation, um, when you look back at the Old Testament and so forth. And so I read that 70 people, I think it was Israelites, pe people in Israel were, were killed, hundreds and hundreds more injured. And that, that was yesterday morning. And then I checked again last night and it said 250 Israelis killed and 1,590 wounded. And then I checked again this morning and the Times of Israel um, stated that over 600 are now um, dead as far as they can count, and that I'm sure that number has been climbing ever since. And so um, perhaps you've heard this saying, um, if Hamas or Hezbollah or, or those surrounding nations that hate Israel, if they were to lay down their arms, there would be no more war. Um, but if Israel lays down its weapons, there would be no more Israel. You heard that? And so it's like they're constantly defending themselves. They have the Iron Dome. They've, you look back at this, I think the Six-Day War and the 16-Day War and the countries around them trying to come in there and, they've, and God has granted them you know, protection. And there they, here they are 2,000 years later after dispersing them all throughout the world. Now he's brought them back to the land, many of them in unbelief. Our prayer is that they would come to know the Lord and the fulfillment then of Romans chapter 11 says that all Israel will then be saved. And so that's our, our heart cry. And so I was thinking, what are the, what's the source? What's the source of conflict 
and wars, not just wars and with Israel and the surrounding nations, but you have Russia and Ukraine and you have constant wars in Africa and just wars all throughout the world. What's the source of wars and hate and murder? And the Apostle James, he asks this very question in James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and can ob- cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That's really at the, the source of it all. Absolutely, there's a satanic and a, a spiritual um, thing behind it, right? Especially when you're dealing with Israel. But as long as there's sin in this world, there will be fighting, right? There will be quarreling. There will be murder. There will be strife. There will be wars. There will not be any world peace as long as there's sin in the world. And and whenever I hear about wars or I read into what's going on in the news or in the world, it's just a reminder for me, and it should be a, a reminder for us that we're not home yet. There should be an unsettling in our spirit. This isn't our home. It's a reminder that we're still in the fallen, sinful world, that all things haven't been made right yet. I mean, how many babies are murdered every day in the abortion holocaust, human trafficking, starvation, wars, as I mentioned, disease, division, deceit? All these things should cause us to say, come Lord Jesus. Or the disciples' prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but he didn't pray it because he never sinned and in that disciples prayer it says forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us it also says your kingdom come your will be done that should be a daily prayer of ours lord your kingdom come lord your will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's not right yet lord we see it all around us we see the sin in our own life it's not yet made complete So come, Lord. And in the meantime, until he comes, we are his body. We are his hands and feet. We are salt and light. We are his representation to the world. That's our job. That's why we're still here. That's why when we all got saved, he didn't just take us up to heaven, right? That's one of the many reasons. But we're here to be light in this world. Let your light shine before man in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when there are wars, when there are tragedies, when there are conflicts in the world, who's typically the first to go in? Is it the atheists of America? Are they the ones starting hospitals and orphanages around the world? And have they for centuries? No, it's Christians typically who are first on the scene. And so we know that world peace will will not ultimately come until the Prince of Peace comes the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the father of eternity, prince of peace, Jesus Christ. Now, my, my hope today was to finish Colossians chapter 2, and but I'm not going to go there because as I was praying and thinking, I was really led to a study on the second coming of Christ. And so that's, that's kind of what I want to walk through today is talking about come Lord Jesus. I want to look at passages. I want to look at several passages in scripture, and I just want to walk through them. 
I just want to let them speak for themselves from Jesus' mouth in Matthew and in 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians and just and see what the church has to look forward to and look at the timeline of what it looks like when Christ returns. And so I'll turn to some of those passages in just a minute. You know, Jesus comforted his disciples in John chapter 14. John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 before Jesus goes to the cross. If you remember, he's with his disciples in the the Last Supper in John chapter 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not, or I would have told you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. He's encouraging them. He's comforting them. He's about to go to the cross, and after that, he's going to ascend to his Father. He wants his disciples to know, I'm coming again. I'm preparing a place for you. This isn't going to be it. The cross isn't it. And then the resurrection and the ascension, even that's not it. I'm preparing a place for you. I will come again and you will be with me always. The second coming and when Christ makes all things right should comfort us. It should bring encouragement to us. It should strengthen our faith. If you truly love someone, if they leave you, you long to be reunited with them. Recently, Leah left me and the kids for 11 days. I can't believe she did that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She had fun. And she came home and the house was in shambles. And let's just say a couple rooms looked like a tornado hit them. I tried to make, here was my philosophy, make the living room and the kitchen look nice and kind of hide everything in the bedroom. She won't, she won't really notice. So maybe she was happy for like the first 30 seconds when she walked in. But the moment she went in the rooms, it wasn't good. But the house was still standing and we were alive. But there was some anticipation. There was some longing. There was a desire for her to return. After about a week or after a couple days, I had a little break. You know, me and the kids hang out. But then after that, it was like, okay, you can come home now. I miss you. And I hope that wasn't one-sided. You'll have to ask her. But there was, there, w- there was the desire for her to return. If you love someone, you want to see them. You want to spend time with them. And it's the same thing with the return of Christ. If you're in his word, if you love him, if you have a real relationship with him, if you're praying to him, you want to see him. And that's been the church for 2,000 years. Look throughout the New Testament, even at the end of Philippians 3, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the bodies of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. We eagerly wait. Paul was eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. And then saints since then have been waiting for the second coming of Christ. So we long for that day. When there will be no more sin. In Revelation it says no more tears, no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. But unending bliss where there's no need for the sun, the scripture says, or the moon to shine. For the glory of God has illumined it. And it says that the lamb is the lamp. Revelation 21, 23. God is going to enlighten the new heavens and the new earth. No night, no need for a sun, 
We're just going to be blown away with the light and the glory of God and his son. No sin, no murder, no pain, no curse, but pleasures forevermore. And so as John is getting glimpses of this in the scene of what is to come in the book of Revelation, he closes it out in Revelation 22, 20, as he's overwhelmed and he testifies and he says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It's this beautiful epiphany, if you will, to close out the book of Revelation. And it, like I said, it's been the heart cry of saints throughout history. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, as Jesus was ascending into heaven, if you remember, the disciples were looking on and two angels were standing there. And this is what they said in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's going to come in just the same way. Bodily ascension, bodily return. It's not a spiritual return. It's not going to be a metaphorical or figurative or symbolic or allegorical return, but the angels say in just the same way. As he ascended, he will descend in bodily form. And the scripture tells us it's not going to be a secret return. It's not going to be a quiet return. It describes the second coming of Christ as breathtaking, earth-shaking. It's going to be unmistakable. You're, you're not going to be standing there like, is this it? Hey, I, is this it? Well, you're going to be caught up so quickly, you're not going to be able to ask that. And Jesus wants us to know that. Matthew chapter 24. This is going to be the first text that we walk through. Matthew 24, starting at verse 23. The second coming, the rapture, the day of the Lord. Are these three separate events? Are they on different timetables in the eschatological, if you will, timetable? Are these different events? Are these one and the same event? And I think just walking through Matthew 24, 23 through 31 and several texts in first and second Thessalonians and letting the scripture speak for themselves for themselves. I think it's going to clearly show us the answers to these questions. Matthew 24, 23. Jesus said, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ or there he is. Do not believe him for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. If therefore they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go forth. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other." When does he come? Immediately after the tribulation. Verse 29. He comes on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And it says that there's a trumpet. When you look at the, that Greek word, and many of the 
help studies and the word studies and the Greek lexicons, they mention that the trumpets throughout the Old Testament were war trumpets, that Israel sounded a trumpet when they were going to battle. And so that's important because though this text doesn't elaborate on that aspect of Revelation 19 and other texts we're going to look at, he's coming back in judgment. And he's coming back with a shout of an angel, with the trumpet sound, and then it says he gathers the elect, verse 31. When does he gather the elect? When do the elect meet him in the clouds? After the tribulation. That's what we see here in this text. Revelation 1-7 says, Every eye will see him. This isn't going to be a secret coming. This isn't going to be done in a corner. Jesus said, I am telling you this in advance. If they said, I've already come, or I'm over here in the wilderness, or I'm in an inner room, or I'm over here, I'm over there, and you're unsure, you're not going to be unsure. It's going to be like lightning shining from the east to the west. Every eye is going to see me. You're going to know when this happens. If you go online and you type in, has Jesus already returned, you'll get articles of people saying, yes, Jesus has already returned. I'll leave that as it is. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. In the context here, I believe the Thessalonians were thinking, well, what about those who have died, Paul? Are, are they going to miss the second coming? Like, do we get like a one-up on them? Or how does this work? Break down the second coming for us and those who have died. Or do they still have hope? Are, are they going to somehow miss out on the rewards or heaven? They're asking questions somewhere in that frame. And Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's a lot going on in those two verses. I mean, he makes it clear this isn't going to be silent. You're going to have the shout of an angel. You're going to have the, the, the trumpet. You're going to have the shout, the voice, and the trumpet. This is going to be loud. This is going to be an exciting event. Now, according to this text, when are we caught up? At a different time period than this? This is the second coming. When is the church? Paul says we. He includes himself. Verse 17, we who are alive and remain. Now, according to those brothers and sisters who believe in a pre-trib rapture, they will not be alive and remain for this event. They will not be there, right? They will have already have been raptured if the pre-tribulation rapture is true. Now, Paul says, those of us who are alive and remain when there is this voice, this shout, this trumpet, when Jesus descends from heaven, we will be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. We will be snatched up. We will be caught away to meet them in the air. Now, this word meet, apartesin, is used only two other times in the New Testament, Matthew 25, 6 and Acts 28, 15. And in both of those, it refers to a meeting in which people go out to meet a dignitary and then accompany 
them back to the place from which they came out of. That's what that Greek word means, to go out and then to bring back. And that's what we believe, that we will meet, and that's what this text is saying. We will meet Christ as he is descending in the air, and we will bring him back. We will come back with him. It fits perfectly. So it's not going to be silent. It's not going to be secret. It's going to be one event. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, let's look at the first six verses. When, what's the timetable here, Paul? Now the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Why not? Verse 2, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And it seems as though some people just stop there. He's going to come like a thief. We, we, we don't know the times and the seasons. We're not sure when it's going to be. He's going to come like a thief, but continue on. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. You are all sons of light, and sons of day we are not of night nor of darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us be alert and sober we're not in darkness we we know what is going to happen we're going to be in the we are in the light he is going to come like a thief to those who are in darkness to those who are getting drunk to those who are living in sin to those who don't have the proper timetable and timeline according to the scripture, they're going to be caught off guard. They shall not escape, verse 3, but we will be in the light. We are sons of the light. It will not take us off guard. So you think, okay, he's pretty clear here. First Thessalonians 4, and that's it, right? You guys got it. What, why do we need Second Thessalonians then? seems pretty clear. I mean, at least to me, especially verses 16 and 17. No more talking about the second coming, okay? You don't need to know the times and the seasons. Just be ready. It's not, you're not going to be in the dark, and just be ready to be caught up in the air to meet him, okay? Done. No, there seemed to be some confusion still in the Thessalonian church. Now, whether they were getting letters from false apostles, false teachers, whether it was a spirit coming and tempting them, whether whatever it may be, Paul needs to write another letter. And he needs to bring more correction. He needs to bring more clarity and more understanding to the second coming of Christ. And so we go to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And this church is being persecuted. They're being afflicted. And when you're persecuted and afflicted and you're going through tribulation, your faith is really being tested. And it's at that point that you start to be unsure about things that you were once sure about. If any of you guys have gone through hard, difficult things in life, things that you were once sure about or you were like, oh, that would never faze me, when you're going through it, man, you're, you're going, wait, I need some confirmation here. And that's what they're going through. Per- heavy persecution. And so let's read Second Thessalonians chapter 1, 4 through 9. He says, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. 
for which indeed you are suffering. For if after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So they're going to get relief. He's saying, and he's writing to a bigger audience, right? Here we are reading this 2,000 years later. When are Christians going to get relief? If Christ was to come back in their time, they would have got relief when he returned. Verse 7, he's going to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. One in the same event. Not seven years earlier, not at a different time frame. This is, he's not saying, oh, this is a figurative return. or it, No, you will get relief. You will get rest. This Greek word is anesis, freedom, rest, relief from your affliction. Phlebo is the Greek word there. Rest from your trouble and persecution when, Paul? When Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's the day of wrath the day of the Lord. When Jesus comes to bring his wrath, that's when you are going to get relief. And people will say, but Christians aren't under the wrath. Christians aren't going to be judged. And that's exactly right. And we'll look at that and talk about that in a little bit more detail in just a second. Revelation 6, 16 and 17 sheds light on this passage and on the second return, the day of the Lord, the day of wrath. And it says, They said to the mountains and the rocks, this is the rich men and the kings of the world and the rulers, Revelation 6, 16 and 17. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to stand? So the question is, who is able to stand? When Jesus returns with his mighty angels and flaming fire, who's going to stand on that day? And I thought back to the book of Exodus. Who could stand when God's wrath, when God's judgment was poured out upon the Egyptians, when God's wrath was poured out upon upon the firstborn of Egypt? The firstborn were wiped out. God said, child and beast I will wipe out. I will judge the gods of Egypt, God says in Exodus chapter 12. Who could stand? Those covered by the blood. It's that simple. God told them to get a lamb, to sacrifice it. He, he laid it all out, put the blood on the doorpost, on the lintel, and when the death angel, when the destroyer comes through to wreak out vengeance and wrath and judgment, you will be preserved. You will be preserved on that day of wrath if you're covered by the blood and so it will be when Christ returns those who are covered by the blood when his wrath is poured out we will stand by the way Exodus chapter 12 if you read it it tells us on the same day on the same day that that final wrath was poured out on Egypt the same day when the firstborn 
were killed in Egypt was the day that Pharaoh said, go, get out of here. Rest, relief, and comfort for the Israelites on the day that God poured out wrath upon Egypt. It was a time of celebration. Exodus 12, 14, and 47 says that the Passover is a time of celebration. They're celebrating as God's pouring out his wrath. These are all pictures. God gives us pictures in the Old Testament of what is going to happen at his second return. And by the way, Exodus 12, 35 says that the Israelites, and you guys know this, they plundered the Egyptians. God granted them favor and said, go to your neighbors and just ask for gold and silver and clothing. And they're like, okay. So as they're leaving, they said, okay, Egyptians, we want your gold and your silver and clothing. And they're like, okay, we don't care. Just take it all and leave. <laughs> so here they, t- they took all these treasures. I think it says there were 600,000 of them, including women and children. They gathered this all together and they left Egypt. 430 years of slavery, set free, rescued by God. They were given metaphoric salvation as the wrath was poured out. Now Hebrews 12:23 and Revelation 14:4 says the church, the chosen ones, the elect of God are his firstborn. The church is the firstborn, first fruits of God and of the lamb. So there's a lot of connections going on there. So when his final day of wrath comes upon this world, the firstborn is safe. We are the firstborn, Hebrews 12:23. We are going to stand during that day of wrath. And for us, like the Israelites, it will be a day of sal- salvation. It'll be a day of celebration. And it'll be a day when the kings and the great men and the commanders and the Antichrist and the rich will beg that the mountains and the rocks fall on them. Revelation 6.15. They're going to be plundered as if you will. Oh yeah, they're rich for a time. Now we're going to enter the riches of the new heavens and the new earth. Just like the Israelites had the riches of Egypt, we're now going to have the riches and the pleasures forevermore. We're going to be crowned, 2 Timothy 4.8. We're going to be rewarded, Revelation 22.12, and we will be given rest, 2 Thessalonians 1.7. So now after reading this passage in chapter 1, further clarity is brought to the day of the Lord when Christ returns, his second coming, and our gathering to him. But yet Paul goes further. He brings more clarification, more assurance. He brings the text that I like to take people when I'm discussing this with on the second coming because I believe perhaps Paul really wants to make it clear here. Just in case you Thessalonians have misunderstood something I've said so far in chapter 4 of of 1 Thessalonians or chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians or chapter 1. Now, here it is. I'm going to sum it all up. Here it is. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. He's going to set the record straight. And I thought, maybe we need seminary educations. Maybe we need to learn the Greek. Because, or maybe I'm missing something because these texts seem pretty clear and they seem to go hand in hand. And so, but then I don't think that. I think that Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you've revealed these things to the babes. I thank you, Lord, that you've revealed these to those who are not wise or not anything in the flesh. And God doesn't require a PhD to read the Bible. 
though if you want to get one and learn more, okay, all the power to you. But this book is for those who love the Lord and who have the Holy Spirit. And so the plain reading of the text, let's just read it and walk through it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 10. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. King James, I believe, says, or is at hand. Don't let anyone deceive you. Verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. Most translations say, for that day will not come. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of his return. Verse 1, our gathering together to him. Don't let anyone deceive you about that day. It will not come, that day will not come unless the apostasy, some translations say falling away, King James, ESV says the rebellion, the falling away, the rebellion, the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of the wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the first three verses, I believe, are crucial. And I believe they're very simple and they're very succinct and... the sequence here of the rega- in regards to his coming are being gathered together to him. Don't let anyone cause you disturbance. Don't let anyone shake you from this. Don't be deceived about his coming and our gathering together to him. That will not happen. That day will not come unless something else comes first. Verse 3. These two things must, don't let anyone deceive you. This must happen first. The falling away and the man of lawlessness is revealed. To me, that seems very clear. And when you put this side by side with Matthew 24, it lines up perfectly. Jesus says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be tribulation. They're going to deliver you up and kill you. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, there's going to be a falling away. Okay, same timeline, tribulation, just like the Thessalonians are going through. There's going to be a falling away. And then in verse 15 of chapter 24 of Matthew, Jesus says the abomination of desolation will stand in the holy place. Those same two events that we see here in verse 3, Jesus talks about in Matthew 24. And then verses 29 through 31 
of Matthew 24 and then immediately after the tribulation of those days. Then he will return and then he will gather his elect from the four winds of heaven. When there's this great trumpet, it's the same timeline after the tribulation. So the same day God flooded the earth in judgment and wrath was poured out on the entire world and Noah's Ark was the same day that Noah and his family were saved. Same day. Wrath for the world, salvation, rescue, relief for Noah and his family. You look at Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Wrath, judgment, on that same day, wrath and judgment were poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family were given relief. They were spared. And then you look at the Exodus, same thing. Same day God brought final judgment and wrath upon Egypt. Even though Israel was still in it at the time, then they were rescued and brought relief from it. Luke chapter 17, verses 27 and 28, Jesus draws from Noah and from Lot, and he's, he's the one that says it will be the same, just the same, on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So that's not our interpretation of the Old Testament. That's Jesus' interpretation of Noah and Lot. On the same day, wrath was brought down. They were rescued. So it will be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 30. Same day, same event, his coming, our gathering together to him, the day of wrath. Pretty clear, right? So as I was meditating on these verses and just looking them over, it was like a little Bible study that I was doing for myself. I was like, this is what I believe. Lord, confirm what I believe. And I think it's very clear, um, you know, sitting under Pastor Joe for many years and he can, you know, go above and beyond this for about 10 hours, maybe 30 hours, I don't know how many hours, and give us a lot of the details and break out different things and Greek words and And for simpletons like me, just reading through these texts, if you're going to talk to someone who says, yeah, but I I don't, I don't believe they're all the same event, or I I believe in a pre-trib rapture, I think it's good to just kind of let the word of God speak. And I think sometimes, at least for me, I think I got to have all the answers and all these, and it's like, let's just look at the Bible. Let's just read through it. I think God can make it simple enough for us to understand. So as I get ready to bring this to a close, I We want to echo the words of the Apostle John. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the heart cry of the church. That's been the heart cry of the church. We want to anticipate and long for his return. So we should be saying, come, Lord Jesus, put an end to the abortion holocaust. Come, Lord Jesus, put an end to human trafficking. Come, Lord Jesus, put an end to wars and division. Come, Lord, put an end to the trials that I'm going through. Lord, give me rest from the temptations and the trials and the the daily battle that we call the Christian life. 2 Peter 3.9. You could ask the question, well, why doesn't he just come already, right? Why doesn't Jesus just come and put an end to all this right now? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's patient. His hands are out to the world. 
He, he's delaying his return so that the gospel, Jesus said, must go forth to all nations. The word needs to go forth. Three billion people, according to most estimates, haven't heard about Jesus Christ. You go into some of these remote villages and remote parts of these countries around the world, and you go up to them and tell them about Jesus. They say, who is Jesus? I've never heard of him. So there's so much work to be done. There's translations daily being put out there to get the scripture into these foreign languages to reach them so that Jesus will then return. Revelation twenty-two seventeen: The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. And so that's my prayer. Hopefully that's your prayer that those in Hamas or Hezbollah or ISIS or these terrorist groups, we want them to know Jesus. Wasn't that the Apostle Paul before he came to Christ? Like a Christian terrorist, if you will, hunting down Christians. How many people said no? He, there's no way someone like him could come to Christ. So we need to pray. You say, well, I don't know how to get involved in being his hands and feet and salt and light. Just pray and say, Lord, use me. That's my prayer. Okay, Lord. This is what my life looks like right now. Equip me. It says pursue the greater gifts. Earnestly desire the greater gifts, right? So I say, Lord, help me to edify your church and give me the tools and give me the resources so that I can somehow reach the nations for you. And we pray for the Israelis, those who reject the Messiah as well. We pray that they would receive the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, the only one that can save them friends, family, neighbors who don't know Christ, that's our prayer as well, that they would know him. So that's my teaching for today. The world's only hope, the only peace that this world can have is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. May he come and return soon.